0: Welcome to Happy Hour on the Fringe. I'm Rena Searles, Marketing Manager here at Fringe Arts, and I invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our conversations with some of the most imaginative people in today's art scene. Joining me today, I have Ed Wagner, a longtime Producer Circle member at Fringe Arts, and currently the IT Manager at the William Penn Foundation. Ed, welcome. Thank you. So our first question for all of our guests here at Happy Hour on the Fringe is always, what are you drinking today?
1: Uh, At the moment, very weak iced tea and uh, mostly seltzer water.
0: Oh, iced tea like mixed together or are those two separate cups?
1: Well, I I usually uh, make iced tea every morning and then I have it at lunch. And as I go through the afternoon, I add seltzer water to it. I have a seltzer maker and... So it starts out pretty much iced tea, and by about now, it ends up pretty much water, sparkling water.
0: Oh, yeah, that that's a full-day full, full day transition process.
1: Well, they, they say you're supposed to drink a lot of liquid during the day.
0: Yeah, I, it definitely sounds like you have that covered. Um, I am, for I think the first time in a while since we've been recording, uh, actually having a little bit of uh, a a spritzer today. It's a summer red nice and it is uh We're you know we're not giving out sponsorships until people want to pay for them but uh it is fizzy and light wine so uh i am enjoying that for for happy hour today but ed just to kind of jump in and you know get our listeners to learn a little bit more about you um can you just tell us how long have you been connected with fringe whether as a patron or you know whether you started off as a volunteer, like, you know, how long have you been involved with Fringe? Uh,
1: since the beginning, actually. I, uh, my wife and I had talked uh, off and on for years to go in, about going to the Edinburgh Fringe. And uh, I had been there a couple times in the winter, um, never in the, uh, during the festival. And it seemed kind of a daunting uh, endeavor to, to go there with a booklet the size of a phone book and, you know, <laughs> thousands or tens of thousands of other people and one day my wife uh said uh hey it looks like Philadelphia's gonna have a fringe and so uh the first year I think we saw eight productions I believe it was it was a week maybe uh weekend the weekend and saw a bunch and was hooked uh and then I think it was that year or the year after, Nick um, had a off-season kind of rap session with different groups of people uh, to get ideas for moving forward with the Fringe, and then that got me really really excited. So I felt I felt uh, a lot of uh, connection with the Fringe, and next year probably went to maybe fifteen shows, and uh, a little while later they started the All Access Pass where for one one price you could see every show you could possibly fit in which to me being a, a planning person was was a challenge <laughs> and yes ended up um i think my top year is like 45 50 shows uh and i would see i would see like five a night and would just be running around uh mostly old city at that point yeah it was it was great and they they uh like bookbinders had a show at noon when when they used to be open um and it was it was quite thrilling, and it was. Uh, uh, I mean, it still is, but in the the early days were kind of wild and woolly, and it was wonderful to see that something like that in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's so curious because, um, you know, I, I've heard uh, Nick, our you know founder of, of Fringe Arts, talk about how uh, Philly, when the Fringe Festival was founded, was like ripe with like talent that wanted to be seen and you know, people who wanted to see that art. And so it's cool talking to you and hearing a little bit more about how you knew of Edinburgh and like had, you know, that in your mind already. So this just kind of felt like it's here. Of course, I'm going to go.
1: Yes. In fact, I would tell my family uh, after a few years just to not expect me to do anything during the period of the Fringe Festival. So (laughs) don't come for a visit. Uh, Don't, book anything during that weekend, uh, any of the weekends. And, uh, you know, I would see them in October.
0: (laughs) I I tell my family the same thing, but I I try to, from the marketing side, I always try to get them to come to shows with me, but I'm like, unless you're coming to see a show with me, you probably will not see me for the month of September.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, well, I would, I would buy two access passes and my wife would see some shows, but she had a, a much lower tolerance. So I sort of uh, it compelled me to find other people to take the shows. I'd say, I got, I got a, a free ticket. I already paid for it. And I'm just mm-hmm. looking for someone. So I would publish my schedule. And then uh, I eventually had to move to an Excel spreadsheet to figure out who was seeing which show with me and um, how much time it would take to travel from one venue to the other. And was there somehow time to eat or drink in between? And, uh, and in the early years, uh, what i used to joke is fringe time because the shows almost never started on time yes. and whatever was in the booklet was sort of an estimation usually low on how long the show was so you, you would be like i'd be looking at my watch going okay we need the show to end because i have to run <laughs> to west philly to see some new paradise show at uh, a church or whatever
0: yeah, no, it, uh, <laughs> I think that's definitely a very real thing. You know, I, I know that shows always try to start within that like sweet spot of five to 10 minutes after start, but, uh, I've definitely been at shows where I've had that same feeling of like, you know, I want to be engaged, but we're like 30 minutes over the end time. And,
1: <laughs> and it, I- it's, it has gotten a lot better, I would have to say. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure how long you've been doing the festival, but the last, Five or so years have, have it's been pretty tight, but the first I don't know first close to ten years it was wild and woolly on timing.
0: Yeah, well, so I I've been at Fringe Art since twenty seventeen, and I, I'll definitely say that I think the later the show starts, the longer they they feel free to like stretch the limits. So. Yes. You know, like the 8 PM, the 7 PM shows are usually pretty timely, but then once you get to like the show starting at 10 PM, yeah, they just, they just assume they can go all night to an extent. And especially like once you get to cabarets and everything, like those can go, um, for, for like a decent amount of time.
1: (laughs) And and I live uh, up in the burbs, so I would take the train home and my last train, uh, to get me home is 1240. So that was my drop dead time. Uh. And yeah, seeing shows that started after 11, we get a little dicey because of course you'd have to get to the train station and mm-hmm. uh, uh, just hope that none of the exterior doors are shut at that point. So part of the fringe.
0: Yeah. Do you happen to have or, or know kind of like what your earliest fringe memory might be, whether it's like you're like on or off stage, like whether it was something that you remember about waiting in line or like one of the first shows you saw?
1: Uh, Well, I think it was the first year. I was, I was actually. I always look at my top shows uh, through the throughout the festival, and one of the top ones was uh, called Lewis and Dave, and it was uh, Theater Scam out of uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Mm -hmm. and they had a car uh, that they had borrowed, parked in front of. I think it was the Corey Street Cafe, and it was a four person show, and the audience sat in the back seat of the car. And the two performers sat in the front seat, and they would put your bags and all into the trunk. So that was their luggage storage. And the whole show took – it was a 20-minute show, and it took place in uh, the car. Uh, And uh, at certain points, they would be – they pretended like they were driving, so they'd be screaming out the window. And if they were screaming (laughs) out the window to the right, that's where the cafe was. And you know, there would always be people wandering by, and all of a sudden, this guy would stick his head out and scream something. And it was really interesting to see the – the look on people's faces because the ones walking by had no idea that there was a show going on. And uh, some of them tried to, to sort of walk towards it until they realized it was a show
0: because
1: oh. <laughs> they thought they were being yelled at. And, uh, right. and that was, I think that was the first year. Um, and then it was, maybe it was the first year Brian Sanders. I'm not even sure if he was called junk at that point, but he did, he did his first uh, inter- iteration or incarnation of patio, pl- patio plastido. Okay, And it was the vacant lot, which I think is now that big building uh, at second and race across from the the cafe. That was just a vacant lot. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden you hear these kind of weird sound coming and slowly getting louder and louder. And all of the performers had, they had cut uh, two liter bottles of soda in half and were wearing them as shoes. And they did this sort of, I don't know if it's called soft shoe, but they did this syncopated um, dance routine, kind of marching down the street. And it was just amazing. And you just would hear this and you had no idea what it was. And then you learned what 24 soda bottles cut in half sounded like. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: And that was, I think that was the first year. So I I had been to different, you know, kind of classic theater and, and some somewhat experimental, but the stuff... That the fringe they were pulling out, and these were all local artists, uh, except Theater Scam. But they were; it was just uh, so different. It was it was you know quite magical, and that's what I thought the fringe would be like. And it was it, it proved to be very true.
0: Yeah. Well, so one thing I I'm curious about because you mentioned, as you know, you said that you were already kind of looking at going to a fringe festival elsewhere. Um, have you always? Felt like very interested in the arts. Is that something that you had made a part of your life heavily before Fringe?
1: Somewhat. I was I was mostly a big uh, moviegoer. Went to a lot of films. Uh, I made some amateur stuff myself. Uh, did very little theater, but I created a couple murder mysteries I ran for friends. And I, I oh, do I do I do I, as a sideline I do scavenger hunts for fun uh, mm-hmm. and treasure hunts. And so I liked the idea of uh, kind of being immersed as a participant in something, and I I didn't think about it as theater, but as as like a treasure hunt experience where you're following clues, and you might meet people. Uh, There used to be a treasure hunt at a temple, out at Temple Ambler, and they had different characters, uh, and you would go and you would meet them, and they would give you uh, they would give you these poems which had clues embedded in them, and so it was. It was sort of very uh, primitive theater, but the idea was you were you were uh, immersed within this environment. And I found as I as I look back on my the shows I liked the most from the Fringe, they all had that kind of component where you were immersed. You um, in almost every case you you weren't a, a typical audience watching the show. You were right. in, in some cases sitting in the back of a car. Uh, we saw one show which was in the men's room of Fork where we all crowded around the edge and the, the
0: cool.
1: it took place in the middle. of the, There was a two-player thing the, or two-person and they they came in and you're thinking, well, hopefully no one needs to use the bathroom because it's going to be tied up for like 20, 30 minutes. Um, as an audience member, you were put in a very unusual position. So I think I always liked that, but I never associated that with theater because theater was usually, you were seated you know, in a, in a theater setting and, and uh, neat rows across or on the sides. And the Fringe with that, I was like, oh, I really like this type of uh, non-traditional but immersive experience.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely something that's very characteristic of, I think, Fringe art. And even just in the past couple of years, like we actually had immersive headquarters for the Fringe and mm-hmm. Um, 2019, which was really cool to see that there were shows that were really not just uh, creating theater that was immersive, but really like leaning into this as its own genre of storytelling and involving audience members. And then um, I know we've also seen some really cool integrations with technology and how um, people can be, you know, worked into a a piece using tech or using, you know, this like new character method. and and that does actually lead me to another question. Um, so as part of our producer circle, our producers always get to kind of choose a show that they would like to sponsor. And I know that, you know, last year in 2020, you chose Being With by Nicole Canuso. Um, and in 2019 you had uh, chosen Pursuit of Happiness by the Nature Theatre of Oklahoma. And I'm curious to think about some of those. Are you, Usually, looking for that show that feels really immersive and feels like it drops you into, you know, a, a little bit more of a, a in depth world.
1: Yes, definitely. I actually met Nicole at uh, some other show years before, and I needed to get to to the train as I had mentioned a while ago. And so she gave me a ride to the train station, and I was like, "Oh, that's great!" Oh. So then, <laughs> so then yeah. the next the next year. uh, she was being one of the featured shows and I, I it was might have been my first year as a producer i forget but um, i picked it because she had given me a ride that was really nice but i didn't i didn't know a lot of what she did and now um, that's that's grown uh you know you have a really good relationship and I, and I i would say that i've had that with a lot of people i've sort of met accidentally within the fringe and you become Really bonded within the fringe or beyond the fringe. So in that case, so whenever the Nicole, sh- uh, Nicole show comes up, I always choose that. Uh, and then I saw No Dice, which the the uh, year before I can never remember their name, but they had done probably five or six years before it down at the Acme up at like Forty Third or so and in, in, uh, Chestnut or Walnut. And so I li- I really liked their work. Um, but I would say, yeah, if I didn't have a background, I would I would choose a show that i thought was the most unusual and, and and immersive that way rather than a show that i consider more traditional uh and i feel there's other you know honorary producers that gravitate towards that so it's it's nice to have your your little niche
0: awesome so just thinking a little bit more broadly about the Philly art scene, you mentioned that, you know, you've been really into films and, uh, have kind of, you know, taken on your own adventures. Um, and I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, where do you see fringe within the Philly art scene? Like what role would you say that fringe is playing?
1: Uh, I just, I like it as, as sort of an organizing structure for productions. I, I, I For instance, like I I go to the, I am a member of the opera subscriber and, and which is somewhat recent, actually more recent than the fringe and the orchestra, which is slightly more recent than the fringe. And I didn't do a lot of other festivals in Philly. And I, so I feel like I throw myself into the fringe. um, You know, that's my two now three or four weeks of, of hardcore theater. But then you you find groups uh, like exile and other ones where I, I pick up their subscription. So they sort of, I met them through the fringe and then you you, you go out. So I, I would like to think for uh, Philly theater goers that they, the fringe allows them to kind of see a lot of shows in a limited time. And then if they pick up on a group that they really like their work and they're local, then hopefully they go out uh, or like the IRC, the Idiosynchronic Ridiculopathy Consortium, whatever they are. <laughs>
0: we'll we'll link the official. It. I believe it's like idiopathic ridicula That's it. We're not going to butcher that anymore. But yes, No. no.
1: I, I have slight <laughs> dyslexia, so it just sort of spins around in my mind. But but like groups like that, where I don't think I would have ever uh, thought to see a production by them or even heard of one. And and through the fringe, I you know they're on my roadmap now, and and uh, so when they have shows, I go to see it. I I look at the fringe as sort of. Uh, and hopefully for other people, that's a way to say, okay, let's see a bunch of different groups. You know, some of them local, and as I said, when you find something you like, well, you know, go to see them in, in, in May or or you know, off off Fringe uh, and follow them, and you, and you know, you build some really good relationships that way uh, as just as a subscriber. So I think that's what I really like about the Fringe, and um, you know, there's a lot of groups that just plan a show to be in the Fringe with, I think, the same hope that, that you know, worked on me. So hopefully you know, it works on a lot of other of the, uh, the festival goers.
0: Yeah, for sure. So diving a little bit more into your personal life, can you tell us about Club Ed? <laughs>
1: well, it's actually Club Adventures. <laughs> it was originally Club Ed, which was sort of a, a loose-knit social group uh, I, I guess I'm sort of a, a, a planner by, by desire, so I, I would just plan things. And then someone else actually came up with the name Club Ed. And the, uh, the web started, and they had domains. That Club Ed was taken. And then I came up with Adventures, and then that was taken. That was educational group. So Club Adventures was uh, available. So I chose that, um, but it's I guess Club Ed for short. And uh, that's where I do my scavenger hunts and uh treasure hunts and then i do a few trips i like i'm a big canoer so we have some canoeing trips but the 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 scavenger hunts which i do in town actually the uh the one which is always uh it's called the full moon rally so it's done twice a year whenever a full moon's on a weekend and that actually benefits the irc which i won't say the full name of um (laughs) but but it, it, it's a, it, and it was all built, it was all started through the Fringe relationship. So they advertise to their subscribers uh, and provide people. And then whatever funds I make of, uh, beyond just covering my costs are then donated to, to the IRC. Uh, and then I do one in October called the Hunt for the Red October Lobster. And that actually benefits the, the Cole Canuso Dance Company. And again, that's because I met them at the, the Fringe Festival years ago. So I, I do these different um, fun activities uh, as basically, well, as fundraisers, but also it allows me to kind of get my creativity out in making scavenger hunts and treasure hunts. Awesome. I actually, I actually did one for the Fringe Festival. Uh, oh, yeah? Years ago. Yeah, Isaiah Zagar at the, the Magic Garden yes. was having, well, there was an article in the Inquirer that he was having issues he needed to, to purchase The actual property he didn't own it so for two years somewhere in the middle of the fringe uh, i did a walking tour of his installations which at that point i think were about 30 different installations Mm -hmm. and so we did a map and then at each one you had to answer a question and uh, at the end if you've uh, answered the questions put your name on uh, we had a drawing for uh, some artwork by isaiah And then uh, the first first and second year, we had a little uh, kind of party at the Magic Garden, so that was a lot of fun. It was uh, the downside was by sitting there because it was at the uh, we gave them out the painted bride that I wasn't able to see shows that day, so I was sort of like you know Mm. good news, bad news.
0: (laughs) But you've seen it from the perspective of an artist as well.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, because we had the, we had the sandwich board sign, and, but it, you know, wasn't a show, but it was yeah, but it was an experience at the Fringe. So I was I was in the catalog for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, no, I, I did not know that. So that's actually really <laughs> here. Um, I think like it's also so cool now because I think we've had a lot more things like that where you get these kind of walking performances, particularly in 2020, where, you know, theater is always on a a little bit on the fringe in our festival. But it's also like, okay now we can't even be in like a normal theater setup. So walking and, and touring has been one of the methods that actually really, I think, flourished during the 2020 Fringe Festival.
1: Oh, it was great. I did, uh, I did The Encounter with Death uh, yes. when we walked down Broad Street, which was, uh, it's in the top 10. And I'm not sure how much higher it is, but it was a really trippy experience. And it was, it was like quintessential fringe of doing crazy stuff and realizing that nobody else even noticed what you were doing. <laughs> you always feel like everyone's watching and you're like, no one's watching. Uh, in fact, at, at one point, uh, uh, Death sat down across um, right at the um, uh, Hotel Lorraine and so I sat down right there at uh I guess ridge coming in and I was sitting on, on the curb and this car next to me pulls up and goes, Are you okay? Oh And I said I said, I'm in a show and the guy's like, <laughs> Oh, okay and just drove off. <laughs>
0: oh no. <laughs>
1: I just Sure, he's in the show. I mean, what a great line! He just drove off. Um, <laughs> he was, that was yeah, good.
0: yeah okay. Uh... <laughs>
1: and, and then there was a, there was a show uh, out by the, the Drexel Palatin area that um, was self guided with different little uh, vignettes of, of phone conversations. Yes, and you kind of walked around. So I, I tried to do everything that was in person. I actually thought some of those. Well, I thought most of those, if not all of those, was an interesting direction for the fringe festival. And I hope that some of those artists, you know, continue with that once we return to in-person performances. That stuff that the telelibrary. There were all sorts of remote shows that really worked well. I mean, some of them, most of the Zoom stuff was, uh, you know, a substitute for a an in-person show. But there were quite a few artists that did stuff that was really groundbreaking. That I think I was talking to Jennifer or somebody said you know you, I know you you have a I think a digital arts uh, festival in the spring but to look at that as part of the fringe is really a augmented reality type thing where it's where it's uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a crossover uh, and it also follows with the whole immersive theater but to look at pushing a little more electronics or technology, mm-hmm. but still keeping it as live theater. So, you know, it was it was not a good time for the artists, um, obviously financially or, or, or the fringe, but, you know, I think there were a lot of valuable lessons learned that hopefully, as I said, hopefully people try to replicate going forward.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's going to be really important to see that because obviously we're hoping that in 2021, you know, as the vaccine continues to roll out and you know hopefully things improve in our country that we will be able to have more of the traditional art that we've seen not just in theaters but also like you know in warehouses and backyards and you know everywhere else that we're used to kind of ending up during september um, but I, I do think that, you know, as you said, like these alternate experiences are so valuable because they can be done solo or with a partner. Um, I actually did the one around Powelton Village, um, with my partner. Cause we were like, well, like it was kind of funny cause we didn't have headphones together. So we would like <laughs> press play at the same time <laughs> so that we could like both be listening on our phones, um, and, and try and like kind of coordinate it. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, there's such like, uh, really creative ways to just like get to know a neighborhood as well, get to know a new area. Um, But also like, I love that I was getting exercise during the Mm -hmm. festival. I think I normally am like, you know, like either driving, you know, or like biking and walking to an extent, but then I'm usually like sitting for like so long most days that it felt nice that like half the shows I saw were like out and about in some way.
1: Yeah. There was a show uh, Megan did down in somewhere in South Philly. They were in, Three person show, and they were inside a, I think it was a beauty salon or something. And so the audience was outside. And so you're just kind of milling around the street. It was, I think, on Pass Young or Ninth somewhere down there. Yes. And it was kind of weird because you're, you're standing there and cars are driving by because half the audience is on the other side of the road and everyone's, you know, remaining socially distant. But it was, It was it was so bizarre as an audience member because you're a pedestrian, but you're an audience member, and there's pedestrians and cars going by, and you're watching a show, and they're totally oblivious. So it was so interesting because generally in the theater, you know, there's no distractions, and here it was like all distractions. But you're still (laughs) watching the show, and it was right. And I just thought, yeah, this really, you know, it's it's a very unfortunate situation, but I think it brought out some really creative solutions that it's, you know, a a tribute to the local artists.
0: Yeah. And I think it definitely takes a, you know, a a huge level of skill as the artist to be able to maintain your composure. um, Just with everything going on when you do an outdoor or like, Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise public type show, because yes, there's going to be traffic. There's going to be random honking. There's going to be, you know, people having their conversations that are totally separate, but um, yeah, we've seen some artists do some really amazing things. And I like I always love to see it when artists like incorporate that into the show somehow, like they're anticipating that things are going to be a little crazy and then they can play off of that and, you know, turn it into something else. So, yeah, I think we we've seen a ton of that. And I'm very excited to see what we have in store coming up. But I think just on that note, uh, you know, this is our 25th Fringe festival this September 2021, yeah. crazy. you know, I've been here, this will be my fifth festival coming up. Um, but obviously like you've been here since the beginning. And so I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on both how Fringe has changed in the past 25 years? And also, you know, where, where do you think we're going or where do you think we should go? You know, even the next like five or 10 years?
1: Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, it was so interesting for until you got, uh, the location there, your permanent home every year, the box office moved around the, the, the lounge or the, 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 the after hours show moved around and you kind of had it all this anticipation and excitement about where, where is fringe going to be centered this year? You know, it just always felt like a seat of the pants and, and very, uh, exciting, but kind of chaotic. And I'm sure, you know, for the staff it was super chaotic trying to, Find venues, Um, and then and now you have this location. So it's sort of you feel like it's it's settled. Um, and, And even there were some years where it seemed like you weren't sure what might happen next year, whether it would continue on. And now you really feel, even with with this past year, that you know it's firmly established and it's a part of Philly for the for the foreseeable future. So I think that was a big change. It was less. Um, less anxiety, I think, from the back end and even from the, from the audience side over what would happen next year. So it was a fun ride, but uh, I don't know if, if Nick and crew would want to do it again. Um, <laughs> uh, but going forward, I don't know. I like a little technology, but I don't like a lot of technology in shows. And I think the fringe has kept true to that. I think this past year, I think they can start to expand, you know, seeing stuff that not, that's not Zoom, that, that really adds to the shows. Uh, And you just see so much innovation, like Thaddeus Phillips, all these people, you know, innovating. So the next five years, I I just think that the the local artists, you know, will continue to amaze people. And it's always nice to see these international artists, uh, most of whom I've never heard of before. Most of them have these polished shows that are just amazing. You know, each year has been totally different. So I, I guess that's the consistency of Fringe is, is every year is totally different. And <laughs> so it's sort of like when you were little and you, well, when I was little and you get the Sears Book, and you'd see what, what the toys were for Christmas. Right. And now with the Fringe, it's like, you know, what are these toys? Because the local artists, you know them, but you don't know what they're going to do. And the international artists, uh, for the most part, at least for myself, you don't know what they're going to do, but you're like, it's going to be really good. And I th- I feel like I'm getting pretty good at reading the program, and I, I, with my friends, I'm like, well, if you want something really edgy, you can see this. Uh, but if you're much more of a mainstream person, this these are the safer bets, and um, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a great mix, and I think that's what's the future is. It, it's just a whole potpourri of you know the full spectrum from some classic stuff to to some very edgy stuff, and it's a surprise. It's like opening that the Sears wish book and seeing what these things you've never seen before, you know, that are going to be here for two or three or four weeks in September.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And so our last question, which I am including purely because of our podcast, intern Ari, he is dying to know. Um, (laughs) You're on your website, your 2019 camping Floating trip album shows a black bear making themselves at home on your table. Yes. Do you have? Do you want to share that story with us?
1: Yes, certainly. So uh, I've been going up since I think college above the water gap. So if you go where New Jersey, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, New York meet, so if you keep going up there, the Delaware is much thinner, and there's a fair amount of white water. It's not not tricky, but it's and it's great for rafting and canoeing. And for the most part, we just sort of sit there and lounge and and drink beer or or, or suntan. And so I used to I used to call the rafting trip, but I but when people hear rafting trip, they figure like you're wearing a helmet, you're going down the Yakagani or something. Like no, you're really just floating. Uh, mm-hmm. But so we camp at this campsite, which is on the New York side against the 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 hills. I wouldn't call them mountains, but certainly big hills. And you know, there's critters out there. Uh, I mean, there's lots of black bears in PA, but We've never seen one. And so apparently, uh, the one night, one of the, uh, it wasn't myself, someone else got up to, to go to the, use the facilities and we have our little, that's our party table there. So we have a lantern and we got the little party here sign. And by the end of several hours of drinking, you tend to leave all your snacks out. You know, some of them we put away, but most you don't. And he wakes up and there's his, there's the bear on the table eating, eating the food. <laughs> um. And so apparently he took the photo with his phone and then he went back to bed. That was it. And, uh, it wasn't, he didn't scream or didn't say anything. And then the next day he goes, Oh yeah, there was a bear in the campsite. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh. And then he shows us the photo. (laughs) I am like, I I cannot imagine being that calm. (laughs) Yeah. He said, Oh yeah, I just saw it. Black bears generally will not attack people, you know, unless, I think unless you get aggressive towards them. So it was just there eating the food and, uh, and I've, I've been doing this for, for decades and I've never seen a bear out there. I know they're there, but I've never seen it. But yeah, apparently my tent was probably fifteen feet from that bear. So
0: Oh wow. Yeah. I, I like to think that I'd keep it together, but it's all in all likelihood I would like wake up, you know, walk outside and like scream a little and then try to keep it together, but hopefully the scream wouldn't like instigate anything I can't handle.
1: Yeah, because you don't really want to draw attention. I'm not sure if the bear would come. The bear would probably go away from you, but you really don't want to find out. So, um, no. <laughs> so yeah. So apparently we have bears, and and uh, I haven't heard from anyone who says they don't want to come because there are bears there. But you never can tell. I mean, I'm I'm right up near Jenkintown area, and we have foxes that are running through our backyard. Actually, one I think got a chipmunk today so uh the wildlife is very close by it's just usually you don't notice it because you're inside your house
0: yes to these days more more so than than usually um but ed thank you so much for joining us and and thank you for you know sharing your memories and your stories it's, it's so great to hear
1: it's been wonderful yeah it's stunning that it's 25 years because things like lewis and dave and and the patio plastido they seem like they were you know, just a few years ago. And then you're like, Oh, that was 25 years ago. And um, (laughs) regardless of what we're able to pull off in September, it's, you know, it's been a great 25 years looking forward to another great 25.
0: Absolutely. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in and make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and download the Fringe Arts app. And you can learn more about joining the producer circle at fringearts.com/support. Thank you.